HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Blueprint, the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. For more information, visit Blueprint.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. And uh, before we get started, I want to thank everyone who came out to the barbecue this Sunday at Roberta's, uh, the Heritage Radio Network fundraiser. It was, I thought it was a huge success. Um, we had we just had a ton of great people, some some fantastic music. Uh, thanks to our 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 spirit sponsors, uh, Sombra and Astral, uh, really outstanding tequila and mezcal. I thought the drinks came out uh, fantastic. Thanks to both of you guys. Um, and now uh, let's get started. Uh, today we have Mark Sayer, who runs the wine program at Trio Restaurant at the Four Seasons in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to you, uh, Mark. Welcome, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you very much. You know, I I never thought that I'd have any connection or interest in in Texas, but I've been coming down uh, a few times uh, the past few years, going down to Fort Worth for um, for Tim Loves. Uh, he does this fundraiser called Burgers for Babies, and I went down to the Austin Food and Wine Festival. And uh, every time I go, I I, I I I find something new to to love about Texas, but especially where you are in Austin, man, that is uh, just such a such a great time down there. It's Austin is a Austin's a really unique place, and I think uh, you know not just for food and wine, but just for everything. You know, you look at cities around the country like New York and Chicago and San Francisco, and everything has a, a personality and a vibe. And, and Austin is definitely definitely a, a draw for for just that very reason. It's a it's a really great spot and a hotbed now for for food and beverage. I think and and continuing to grow. It's really cool to be a part of it. Yeah, I, I was really excited to talk to you because I mean, for for so many reasons, uh, 
number one, Four Seasons. That's where my my business partner, Gabe Thompson, uh, the chef at our restaurants, is kind of where he got his start at the Four Seasons in Austin. Um, I I love Austin. God, we had such a great time there. And uh, because you're you're kind of killing it with wine down there, wine and spirits, seven best sommeliers in 2010. You won the best sommelier in, in Texas competition. Uh, congratulations on, on all your successes, young dude, 32 years old. Um, so I, I, I congratulations on everything. I'm excited to talk to you about what's going on down there. Thanks, man. That's really I really appreciate that. That's amazing. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you got started in uh, in the restaurant industry. Well, I think, uh, like a lot of people, I think, like, right after high school, like, looking for work, um, I had a, uh, had a, uh, actually a, a great girlfriend of mine. Her parents owned a small Italian restaurant in, in Houston, where I'm from, and kind of looking for what I wanted to do, doing a little bit of college, um, started working in restaurants, and, and I think just kind of immediately drawn to the heartbeat of a restaurant. I'm sure all restaurateurs like yourself, like it's, it's addictive. Right. And, uh, the other thing I was doing actually at the time, interestingly enough, uh, for money was I was for a long time, I was, a, a club and like, uh, techno DJ in Houston. And, um, truly I think the seed was planted early on in my restaurant career that, Collecting records and tracks and pursuing that, like that collector's mentality, I think I found that same, I found that same energy in, in wine, actually. And I probably didn't know it much. I didn't know that exactly until I made a move to Austin. I wanted to get out of Houston and go somewhere different. I had a bunch of buddies up here. Austin's great, just like you said. And came up here, started working at a private country club. No one doing anything with the wine program. I was still doing the DJ thing. Uh, kind of started building a wine program at a, at a private club, and they had it was I kind of had carte blanche to kind of fumble my way through to learning how to to create a program and to program pricing and wines by the glass and things like that, and beginning to meet with distributors. And then at some point, I think the wine thing really just started to take my life over. I was really falling in love with the stories of wine, where things came from, who was doing what, who was influenced by what. And this was just like music. It kind of struck that same chord in my heart. And Yeah, and I, that, I think it, that's a really interesting analogy, the, the collector's um, analogy of it. Because, sure. you know, there... The the thing with music, if you if you collect lots of records, as soon as you have your friends over, you wanna you wanna play it for them, you wanna share your your records with them, and when you're putting together a wine list, you're kind of editing and you're you're collecting all of your favorite wines, but then the point is to then share it. And I, I never thought of of those things being similar in any way, but uh, sure. I think that's a very interesting analogy. I mean, you can you can you can draw the parallel a few times with it. I mean, like your your record collection essentially is your is your wine cellar, right? And then every night you're afforded the ability to make a playlist. Oh, I like that. That's awesome. That's that's a really great uh that's a really great connection. So at at this at this wine at this private club, you're you're a pretty yeah. young kid. How do you convince them that you should be the one putting together their wine list? Well, <laughs> it was it literally as simple as as like it was me, me and a bartender who was also a kind of a young guy. And, you know, we started like distributors were starting to come by. And then we kind of just started questioning that, 
you know, it was kind of like that basic country club list. I mean, you could almost, anybody in the wine biz, if anyone's listening, could probably put that list together in their head. I mean, big, big brands, you know, 50, 50 selections of really, really big brands. They're good wines, but just kind of, you know, kind of, you know, similar all across the country, pedestrian, a little bit pedestrian. And we were tasting some cool things, and we just asked. I mean, and I think that I'd like to think that it was just the energy that, that we were so interested in doing something better for a, a private country club, you know, and that was kind of a safe environment, you know, with a, with a, a small group of mm. families that, that you get to see and know every day and just provide them something different. They basically just slowly just let them turn the reins over, and there, there wasn't much going on there anyway, so... Uh, it was. It truly was the, the the catalyst for learning everything that I've learned so far. So it's been, it was great. That was yeah. That was. It seems like a very fortunate occurrence that that you happened to be there. But at some point, you decided that you wanted to also be really proactive and do some studying, right? So you did the sure. the the first three levels of the Court of Master Sommeliers. The you did the. Sure. The, the certified, the the beginner, and, and the advanced. Congratulations on, on passing the advanced. Uh, are you are you looking towards doing the the masters? Are you studying for that now? So I've actually passed uh, uh, I passed the service portion already. All right, master's. congratulations. Yeah. So one down, couple to go. <laughs> <laughs> and how's how's that process going for you? It's great, you know. And uh, I, I would say that you know, there's been a, a few really fortunate steps in my career that, that I've, that I can look back very fondly on and they continue to, to, to grow. And one of them is when, when I decided that I wanted to study wine and took my introductory course and that's just, you know, it was like just a, basically a, a Google search away, found that, looked into it, took it. And then I was looking for something more and got in touch with a master sommelier, a guy stout who works for one of the big distributors here in Texas at Glaciers and reached out to him to see what I should do next. And he put me in contact with two of now my best friends, uh, that are both recently passed their master, uh, Craig Collins and, and Devin Brogley. And they, we basically formed the study group in Austin. They were, they had already been studying a bit. I joined them and we created this core unit that really, uh, that really became, yeah, you mentioned a, a hotbed for, for food and wine in Austin now. And I, I like to think that what we started here in Austin, the three of us really became like the, 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 the seed for, uh, wine professionals who were seeking certification and bringing Austin up. It's, it was, it's amazing. And uh, we, we think about it together often. So I, my next question was going to be if you would recommend this uh, this path for for a young small A, but it sounds to me like uh, you're 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 fully a hundred percent on board, and you, you think that this is uh, a great thing to do. You met yeah, you met some best so. friends. Yeah. You did you learned quite a bit. All right, so tell tell us a little bit about what the wine scene is like in Austin. I think that uh, kind of think of. Austin and maybe associated more with, with beer and, and bourbon, but uh, you guys are doing some interesting things with wine, huh? So here, you know, it's cool. Like, so you've been, so you've been to Fort Worth and, and you've been to, and you've been to Austin now, you know, it's interesting to look at, at that, like the three big cities in, in, in Dallas or excuse me, in Texas. And that's Dallas and 
Fort Worth area, Houston, Austin. It's interesting because you've got Austin is such this kind of awesome, cool, laid back, hippie vibe, right? That's what makes Austin really cool. Um, you know, the, the scene here in Texas is so different. Austin's like a little island. And I can sum that up basically in that Austin is willing to experiment. And we can create some really funky lists of really boutique producers. That's what people are looking for. I mean, it's still Texas. Got to have, got to have those Cabernets and the, and the Chardonnays on there. But you're also afforded the ability to choose which ones you want. I mean, you're not really relegated to needing, always needing to have certain brands and certain styles. But it's really cool to be in Austin because we sell such a, maybe we don't sell as much dollar-wise as some of those bigger cities that are near us, but we sell a, a wider variety. And it's really, that, that freedom is really cool. What do you find that people are asking for? You or, know? Uh, or is like it more a thing where you're, where you're suggesting? Um, it- well, I, I think that, you know, I think that if you take, and, you know, as you sell wine on the floor, if you take styles of wine, and I think people people buy wine mostly not on flavor profile, but like weight and texture. And if you understand that, I think that you're you're able to you're able to take similar wines around the world. To, to run. An easy example, because just because I've I've sold a lot of it over the last year and a half, I feel. Um, is people, you know, Pinot Noir is huge, right? I mean, we're all, I mean, that's great. Pinot Noir, Burgundy, awesome, love to sell it. Uh, but that, you can, you can throw that right into Sicily. I mean, there's, I mean, selling wines from, from Etna have been huge. I mean, the, 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 uh, the Mascalese wines are, are so beautiful. And like, people are into that. I mean, people are, it's interesting to hear people ask for things like that, or at least at, at least ask for that experience. So I think it's super cool. That's cool. I mean, that's that's not too dissimilar from uh, from what we have going on here in New York. I think that uh, Mount Etna is definitely having a moment. There's uh, we have multiple Etna wines on on all of our lists because it, sure. they're, they're just exciting. You know, it's it's an exciting place for wine in general. Um, Absolutely. Tell us about what what uh, what you're doing at the restaurant. What are some of the more popular wines that that you guys are actually selling? So, uh, being at the Four Seasons is is fun. Um, we, uh, you know, for a hotel diner, uh, for a guest that's coming from our, oh, you know, around the from around the world, you know, the it's fun to have a list that kind of spans all all countries. So, in the new world, um, people that are still looking for that more upfront fruit. I would tell you right now, I, I think that, that Washington State is crushing it. I mean, I think that the, the Bordeaux varieties, and especially Syrah, I, I sell it in a Syrah, and that's, I think that, especially for, and even more specifically from Walla Walla, I think, um, you know, it's, it's Syrah is one of those grapes that's kind of suffered an identity crisis, mm-hmm. and it's nice to see it land somewhere and find a, find a home and uh, we sell a ton of that so you're actually making a wine uh in washington state aren't you so i yep i i just to, to prove my my love for surprise <laughs> i'm actually i do uh i actually do uh mark it, it seems like we're we're losing you we're losing audio can you hear can me you hear me yeah okay here we go so 
Uh, yeah, so I do. I partner with Vapiano Vineyards, and I do a private label Syrah for the for the hotel. So absolutely. And then um, in the old world, um, sell a lot. Uh, we just talked about the Edna wines. The other wines I like to sell, especially for somebody looking for something bigger and a little bit more lush. Again, that weight and texture thing. Um, like to sell a lot of Priorat. Hmm. I guess you get. So, Priorat is kind of one of those things where when, when people like to drink Cabernet, you can you can offer them something that, that will satisfy their desire for something powerful, right? But but you can give them flavors that, that might be a little bit different. Exactly. And people I mean that's I mean that's been a neat thing to to watch the to watch the life go on in their eyes, right? I mean those those are good segue wines and you have to be careful because you can't you can't. Sometimes you can't even take a cab drinker and take them right into Bordeaux. I mean, it's just too different. And mm-hmm. to, to say that it's the same grape can kind of create a little bit of contention. But to give them something completely different, but like you said, offer that same, offer that same palate feel. Like is really really cool to see them bridge that gap. All right, Mark. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take just a quick break. Um, I do want to ask you more about about Washington because I'm planning a trip there in uh, in September. So I want your tips, and then also uh, more about your, especially about your your private wine label because that's something I've always kind of felt like I wanted to dabble in, but I haven't haven't made the leap just yet. So uh, sure, think about those two things. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back with In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This one's called Real Long Way to Go by Brothers NYC. And as you know, you're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Keep it locked. original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet designed to purify and detoxify blueprint cleanse is made from the freshest 100 raw and usda certified organic ingredients cold pressed to retain nutrients and flavor blueprint also offers a line of organic juices cold pressed and raw in a variety of fruit and vegetable combinations and available in individual bottles Blueprint Cleanse is available at Whole Foods Market and many other retailers across the U.S. To learn more about their line of organic cleanses, juices, and other products, visit them today at Blueprint.com or call them at 866-774-6831. That's 866-774-6831. Work hard, play hard. Cleanse, repeat. And we're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, here with Mark Sayer, um, who runs the wine program over at Trio, the Four Seasons in Austin, Texas. And uh, Mark, I wanted to ask you about a little bit more about your love of Washington State, because I am planning a wine trip there uh, at the end of September. It's going to be my first time ever in the Pacific Northwest, first time north of, of Sonoma. So uh, t- tell me a little bit about what, what made you fall in love with this part of the world. Well, I think that anybody anybody who's who's fallen in love with those wines there, I think it's been because you you know, we all as we get into wine, I think a lot of us a lot of us end up leaning towards the old world and and a French or Italy or Spain and just because it's kinda like it's kinda like learning about the classics. So then you and you love California, you love the ripe fruit, but it's amazing when you when you taste wines in Washington, and a lot of times you realize that this is like, this is a group of, this is a state that's making wine with a good core group of producers who are making wines with with the old world in mind. And I think we all have, if you've fallen in love with those wines from anywhere, or especially from up there, you put a wine in your mouth and you're like, wait, where is this from? And it definitely happened with me with with Syrah. I just couldn't believe that um, I was, you know, getting these instead of just this right big, you know, like bruiser wine. I was getting a wine of of elegance and com- layers of complexity and 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 brighter texture. And that's kind of like what we how we describe old world Syrah. And it was just made me like it just like I said, turn the lights on for for what that state was capable of. Yeah, and some of the winemakers that you were really, uh, really inspired by. Yeah, I'll t- I know two offhand. Um, uh, so I love obviously where I do my uh, my private label, Justin Wiley at Vapiano Vineyards, great. Um, so then another good friend, kind of mentor, master sommelier, Greg Harrington, uh, making wines at Gramercy Cellars. I think. An interesting thing, another an interesting story there with Sommelier turned winemaker. I think that it's an interesting point. And then uh, Jamie Brown from the Waters Winery. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy is definitely, uh, I think, one of maybe the country's best winemakers, and somebody who's truly, you know, picking grapes at the right time based on ripeness and not on style. So really, really cool. Yeah, so you'll definitely find some of those Gramercy Cellar wines at uh, at our restaurant, La Picho, just for a little plug. But there, there you there, go. The New York connection. Very, really <laughs> exciting. Really, really exciting wines. Um, yeah. So, what was your first encounter? How did it all come about with with Vapiano and and the private label? Were you is that something you were looking to do, or did you kind of were you hanging out of Vapiano and and you guys just kind of threw around that idea? How did how did it all come together? So just because I'd become, and again, I kind of the kind of the music thing pops up again. I got to be friends with Greg Harrington because um, through through the court of master sommeliers and like our love of music kind of drew us together, which then in, in turn drew uh, Jamie Brown and I because Greg and Jamie are good friends and uh, over at the Waters Winery, and then I, it started kind of. I started putting a lot of the wines on my list, and then like some Washington State producers started doing a a city tour with the Washington State Wine Commission, kind of coming around to a few hotbeds. I got to be friends with a lot of the, the producers out there, and then ended up on a buyer's trip. 
and actually specifically for for Walla Walla, mm. a program called W2U. And I, it was just there. I think we were at dinner. Uh, Justin and I were hanging out, um, and he was like, you want to come taste the stuff in the cellar, like all the different vineyards I have on, on you know, all the different kind of oaks I have in the in the cellar? And we're just kicking that around, and he's like... And you're like, you know, uh, I guess. You're- yeah, I was like, oh... <laughs> How do you turn that down? Early, but okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so that was an incredible opportunity, and he was like, hey, I'd love for you to come out if you're interested. I know you love Syrah. Like, come out here. Why don't you, uh, why don't you blend your own, your own, uh, few barrels and we'll uh we'll make a cool little um draw to the four seasons and make a private label for you so it was an amazing opportunity that that's just awesome what what were some of the the challenges with that or is it all very very fun and easy it sounds like it's just like any sommelier's dream to like to go (laughs) make a wine with you know someone they like and respect and uh be able to tell that story but are, are there some were there some challenges along the way yeah you know i'll tell you the biggest challenge is is since I'd already kind of had an, a, a good base knowledge of the wines I was really, especially Syrah, but like the wines I really liked, like whether they were Greg's wines over Gramercy or, 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 or Jamie's at, at, uh, at Waters, you know, it was the first challenge that Justin put on me was like, okay, you here's all your material, right? You basically have all your, your paints are created. Now you got to paint a different picture. Don't make a wine like Greg. Don't put together a wine like me or like Jamie or anybody else who's out out here. Put together a wine that speaks to you. And it kind of stops in your tracks a little bit because now you really start thinking about what, like, what what do I want? What's the expression I want to give now to my diners? I mean, this is a private label to go in the restaurant. So very, very interesting. Very interesting to uh, to start that process. Hmm, That is really interesting. Um I have to ask you this because uh, of your music background. What do you think of these winemakers who are playing music to their wines and say that it has some sort of effect uh, on the wines? I can think of of two off the uh, off the top of my head. You had Bruno De Concilis down in Campania and and uh, uh, Le Terrazze in in the uh, Marche in uh, in right. Italy. But the, I know there are more around the world. Do you do you buy into that? What what do you think of these guys? You know, I'll say this. this is, you know, whether the whether the expression or the soul of the music is is pumped into the wine. Here's what I think. I think that any of that stuff, that's the winemaker's soul and heartbeat in that winery and in that cellar and for those wines. And I think that any if anyone cares about what they do that much to to do something like play great music while the the wines are sitting in barrel. I think that 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 kind of care creeps into everything else that they do. And so I'm all for it. Wow. Well said. I I think that makes sense. It's kind of like some of the biodynamic principles. That's how I describe them. Like, you know, maybe burying the horn with with poop doesn't really do anything but if someone's willing to go through that much effort and spend that much time in their vineyard they're probably caring enough about the wine to make you know a pretty special wine that's exact my my sentiments exactly oh i love it i love it so i have to ask you because when we i was down at uh at tim love's place in fort worth 
Um, they have a ton of great Texas beers that we don't get here in New York. I was talking with a couple of guys who are opening up uh, a beer restaurant in uh, in Dallas. Uh, and they were going to do sure. only North Texas beer. Uh, and I, I read somewhere that you have one of one of the fa- your favorite beers is this Texas Real Ale, um, which which I've never seen here in New York. What what what's going on with the Texas beer scene? Is it really is it really that booming? It's exploding. Like I haven't seen. I mean, I would say that like obviously like Portland and their beer scene is huge, and I think it's popping up all over the place. But Texas is. I mean, it it's going crazy and. What I enjoy seeing is it's not just a, it's not just like, it's not just like that brew like home brewer thing blowing up because that certainly is, but like we've got some, we have some breweries now like Real Ale which is an operation. I mean these are, these are solid beers that are that are the recipes are so good they can be made, you know to be able to be at least distributed all over the state and the quality is is high. Um, and so that's just a brewery out, kind of out in the Texas Hill Country, out in Blanco, Texas. Actually, there's actually some vineyards that actually are right around there. Actually, and uh, it's just it's cool to see. It's and 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 I, it's cool to see more and more restaurants create like you like you said te- a Texas only uh, beers on their list because you can all styles made here. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask you about the wine as well. There's a restaurant here in uh, New York that's based on the Texas Hill Country called called Hill Country, uh, uh, which which I really happen to love. I don't know if uh, if someone grew up in Texas like yourself how you might feel about it, but I think they I think they're killing it. And they have um, they have I'm coming up there next time. All right, you got yeah. Check it out. I, I, I'd be really curious to find out. But they have a, a selection. They only have Texan wine. Uh, okay. And I've always been a little sheepish, and uh, I, I generally drink beer when I go there. But uh, are there some people doing interesting Texan wine? Is it you know someone who's who's been to some of the great wine regions of the world? Can you get excited about your your local wine? So my the the short spiel for me for Texas wine is that. We are we are a state that it's kind of in infancy stages, I think, uh, but with lots of passion and energy really being pumped into the Texas wine scene. My the the deal with Texas wine right now is that as a young wine region, and we actually are really huge in wine tourism. People would think that maybe Washington State or even New York would would top that, but we're because we have four major cities in distance of the hill country, we have a crazy wine tourism scene. What's happening is um, we're, we're putting a lot of Cabernet Chardonnay Merlot out, and a lot of sometimes, or oftentimes, not even grapes that are all from within the state, um, because those sell. Now, what is being, what's exciting out really, I, for me personally, is to see people really experimenting with what grapes really do well here. I mean, this is super poor, high mineral content soil with really poor weather. It's not really Cab Merlot shard growing country, but more Mediterranean varieties. So Sangiovese, I've had really cool Alianico, which kind of makes sense if you start thinking about the climate and soil type. Um, uh, really great uh, white wines from Vermentino. Now those don't, and Tempranillo also really, really cool. Um, those don't sell as well. Those aren't like household names. But what we're starting to see is the money made from these other grave varieties. People are really looking to see what is it that, 
that Texas is going to create an identity from. Now, as again, like you said, as someone who's drank wines around the world, and you, you have to wonder, like, do these wines stack up? What I like to, when I taste Texas wine first, I just want to make sure it's from the state, and I just like to see that we're going in the right direction. That makes me proud. To, to live in this state. So mm. I think it's going in the right direction. All right. Uh, and then I have one last question for you. I've got to ask you the wine pairing with barbecue. Uh, I was uh, I was preparing for, we last night at Anfora, we did a, uh, a wine class on Muscadet. Um, okay. Which went, which was, which was great. Went really fun. We're doing them once a month, and I was doing some research preparing for the class. I came across an article by Ray Isle at Food and Wine, where he uh, he was writing about Muscadet and and about how you compare it with with things other than just oysters. And he made it down to Birmingham and went Birmingham and went to one of Frank Stitt's restaurants and uh, and had Muscadet with barbecue. And uh, he said, for the most part, it actually went uh, went really well, unless except for with a very sweet sauce but right. i want to know what you know as someone in the wine industry and who's so close to hill country what are your uh pairings with barbecue how do you approach that so uh yeah the sweetness and the smokiness definitely uh definitely the key factors there i mean obviously the texture of meat something to consider as well but are you ready for the uh the best barbecue pairing of all time yes that's what i want to know <laughs> absolutely Oh, that makes so much sense. I never would have thought of that. So, like, Cleto Chiarli, like, Cialdini, like, Grass Barocca, yeah. like, dark and rich, actually deceivingly high, deceivingly high residual sugar, but, but the acid is also so high, and just that bright fizz, and it's chilled. And it's chilled, it and it has a little bit of tannin, too, which you... It, yeah. So that that right. deals with the meat, the acid for the for for the fat, obviously the the sugar for the sugar because if you have a super super dry wine with something right. that has some sweetness, it, it makes the wine seem a little kind of off kilter. Oh, that is brilliant! I'm going to do that. You have to do it. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Good luck with uh, with the rest of your uh, master sommelier. You got two one down, two to go. Yes, sir. Uh, good luck with all of that. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, next time I'm down in Austin, I'm going to come check you out at Trio. Uh, and thanks to everyone for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.